Loving Father, we bless you, Lord, this morning once again. One hour in your house better than a thousand elsewhere. But we say thank you, Lord, that you have given us the grace to come. Enough strength to be able to gather together and exalt the name of the one who created the universe and runs it. And we always have the final say on every matter. Praise and glory be given unto you, O Lord. We pray that by your Holy Spirit you teach us your ways, you guide us, Lord, and you deliver us and you spare us, Lord, from the spirit of error. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Whether we should start with the news, we come back to that. We don't want to waste time with that in case we run out of time. Now, never mind if you've heard me speaking on this topic before or if you've heard it elsewhere, it's not a problem. I trust that uh, we will still be blessed because it's the Word of God. Today, renewing perspectives and perception. You may find this slightly differently under a different title. Um, Many years ago, I taught something similar somewhere, but it was called renewed, renewed perspective and perception. Today is renewing perspectives and perceptions, called that RPPS. Renewing perspectives and perceptions. Why? Where do I get that from? In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, we are called to be not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind that we will be able to discern that which is acceptable, good, and perfect will of God. But in order to discern that, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. It's the Holy Spirit that brings that transformation to have a new perspective, new perceptions of things. We were going this way, now we're going this way. And we look at things from God's perspective. Some people call that biblical worldview. So everything we look, our understanding, our interpretation of situation is from the biblical perspective. Because that is the ground and the source of our authority. Amen. So, today, we're going to study the book of Philemon. Philemon easy in French, Philemon. In English, I have to remember Lemon to pronounce this. Philemon. Easy, Philemon. Philemon. We will do this, God willing, over two mini series. Part one today, part two next time, as the Lord leads. In the first part today, 
we will look at some lessons to learn from it, some spiritual lessons we can learn out of the book, lesson one, two, and three. Next time, God willing, we will review the same book, but then we look at practical applications of it. Eight of them. A, B, C, D, up to G. Eight applications. But not, that's for next time, God willing. So let's turn to the book of Philemon. Trust me, I had to rehearse that pronunciation many times. But uh, I've had some help because of, the, because of Lemon. That helps me with the end of the pronunciation. I just need to remember Lemon. I tried to get help from pronunciation from online, but uh, it was a secular software. She got it wrong. She said in English, Philemon. I said, no, that's wrong. <laughs> the epistle of Paul, the apostle to Philemon. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer. To the beloved Apphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers. Hearing of your love and faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Verse 7. For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the heart of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul the age, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. Verse 12. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my change for the gospel. But without your consent I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion as it were, but voluntary. Verse 15. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me, but if he wronged you 
healing put that on my account. Verse 19. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay. Not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother. Let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Verse 22. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. A bit of background to the book. Paul wrote the epistle to Philemon around 61 AD, some say 62, some say even 63. This brief letter, written from prison, is a personal appeal from Paul to Philemon on behalf of a runaway slave named Onesimus, who had probably stolen from his Christian master and then fled to Colossae. Paul has met Onesimus in Rome in prison and led him to Christ, but was now sending him back to his old master, the beloved Philemon. In verses 1 to 7, Paul gives his greeting to Philemon and presents his appreciation and gratitude for him as a beloved friend and fellow and worker in Jesus Christ. Philemon hosted a church in his house and was most likely a wealthy member of the church in Colossae who was apparently angry with his absent slave. Paul's greeting style showed great humility, love and consideration for the brethren. Paul expresses his joy and encouragement because Philemon's ministry to the brethren in Christ was really demonstrated. Before moving forward, I'm giving my first exhortation. When you write as a Christian to a brother or to a sister, show some respect, some consideration, some kindness, some appreciation, some humility, all this is the style. This is how Christians write. I know in workplaces people write things really bad. I am a worker, I know how people write. It doesn't matter your age. Sometimes young people even write without even addressing your name. Just write. When we become Christians, we need to learn because we read the Bible. How to address someone by name. Put some effort. Show some consideration. Sometimes you read and you feel like, oh. 
but there's nothing you can do, you can't correct, you can't tell anybody how to do things. But we have the Bible to show how to encourage, how to show you, how to take something. I'm not talking about replies. It's even more devastating. You write four paragraphs to encourage someone, they reply with this. I've said, if you do this with me, I'm not writing to you again. Because it takes time to put some thought. If someone think about you, someone, someone called me yesterday. He's been trying to reach out to me for the past two or three days. And we're missing each other, we're missing. And in the end, we had about one hour conversation. It was a blessing. And the person said, I had on my heart to call you. And I say, you will be surprised that this is the first phone call I've got in a month. And we talk, encouraging one another, one another, edifying one another, edifying one another. Know how to write. If the Lord puts someone on your heart, there is a reason for that. I wrote a short paragraph to a, a, a pastor in Guilford and he replied to me and said, can we have a phone conversation because this exhortation is timely. When God puts something, someone on your heart, take that seriously. And if someone sends you something personal, show appreciation. Well, people are very busy, but people take Encouragement, you receive encouragement, appreciate, reply, say how blessed you've been. Consideration, kindness, respect, appreciation. We need to learn those things. But if someone writes to you and a pager and you reply with this, when someone Sometimes people reply with this as soon as I press send. So I conclude I haven't even read. Verses 8 to 25 consist of Paul's appeal for Onesimus. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable both to you and to me. Now, under Roman's law, Philemon could ex- execute, execute his slave for fleeing. That was the right to sentence, executing for fleeing from his master. However, Paul knew that. Paul knew the law. Paul pleads with Philemon to receive Onesimus, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. Both in the flesh and in the Lord. That's verse 16. And then he said, if he has wronged you, or owes you anything, put that on my account. Onesimus will carry, Onesimus will have to carry this letter himself to an angry master. 
Onesimus will carry this letter back and give it to Philemon. Onesimus is later, is later mentioned at the end of the book of Colossians as a faithful and beloved brother. Let me make a digression without using up all the time. The matter of slavery. <laughs> we will come back to that. Maybe at the next session. Christianity has been put on trial because of slavery. Now, let me put it this way. Because some people found that they had justification in the Bible to support their own conscience in doing slave trade. It's not about five and hard slave. What about the book of Leviticus? You know, etc., etc. And people were very serious in trying to back up that evil with some scriptures here and there, taking things out of context. And people like Richard Dawkins, they will attack Christianity on that basis as well. And guess what? And find some Christian who till today still think there is a good justification for that. That other people are things and properties. Because Leviticus says it. Out of context. We have been freed by Jesus Christ. If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Listen carefully to what I'm going to say. You will be free indeed. Hmm. No one, no one is allowed either to be a slave of someone in the church or someone to enslave someone else. You may think, oh, he's out of mind. But it's in the book of Galatians that some people have introduced themselves in the church by stealth. I also learned that you can say stealthy. I didn't know that. By stealth. Furtive man, in a cunningly, introducing the ship for to do what? To bring people back into bondage. No one should be a slave or in any sort of bonds. Delivered by Christ, for Christ, and Christ. 100%. Hence the previous teaching. Genuine, on the way to genuine deliverance. We need to know that. We spoke with a brother yesterday on the phone. Believers are living under fear. Because they go in the church where they're telling them, you are the curse, you know, the witches, and they're frightened. Where is wisdom? Sorry, freedom. Where is it? The focus is no longer on Jesus. Where is it? Witchcraft, 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 cast, charms, spells. Where is freedom? What can a witch do to a child of Christ? Generation curse, you are under curse because of generation. What? Christ bore that curse on the cross and nailed it. The blessing given to Abraham, we are partake of that as well. Because if you are in Christ, you are a descendant of Abraham as well. What is this faith? Fear. Prayer is all about witchcraft. Everywhere. 
especially in African churches. Which, 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 if someone has a tooth, everybody can suffer from that. Peter had a headache. Oh, he's your great grandfather, his generational car, cursed, he's this, and people are, you see people, there's no joy. Jesus is reduced to a witch doctor. Well, I heard this story of someone who was having a belly ache and sitting with an empty cup. I'm drinking the blood of Christ. Well, things are really bad. I promise you, will be a diversion. Free. Onesimus was free. Onesimus was free. And Philemon was commanded to receive him as a brother. He was a slave, he became a beloved and faithful brother in Christ. That's the transformation we're talking about here. I'm reminding the title. Renewing Perspectives and Perception, RPPS. Lesson number one. The Christian's approach to social issues is based on God's love. Hmm? What does that mean? Well, you have a lot of initiative for social justice, quite a lot of them. But the Christian approach is based, commanded, and motivated by Christ's love. Oh, 1 Corinthians 6, from verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with the unbelievers. So you see all this social justice movement, you know, environment, and you get some Christian at the forefront, they think they're defending a good cause. Do not be unequally yoked with the unbelievers. We have our own fight for social justice, which is common. In fact, all the prison ministries, disaster recovery, charitable work, started with the Red Cross, Henry Dillon, great Christians, and many, many, many of them, because of the love of Christ, who command us to visit the prisoner, to heal the sick, to do all those things. It's been hijacked, and the Christians are now the band to and following, and getting into what they don't even understand. Because God said we destroy those who destroy the earth. Wow. Out of context. But you throw yourself into all this stuff, but the people who are leading those organizations, they do it out of ideology. Mother Earth, Gaia, etc. And Krishna, they lending their money, lending their effort, and your brethren are being killed everywhere. It goes untold. Do not be unequally yoked with the unbelievers. So the Christian approach to social justice is based on the love of God and obedience to his commandment. That's what it is. We're not just joining some uh, diabolical satanic initiative to worship the earth. Now we got to understand our responsibility. My people perish for lack of knowledge. We need to remain discerning when joining all those initiatives. We need to remain. Uh, 
What does the Bible say? Um, Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 to 16. Do not be unequally yoked together with the unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? You are the temple of God. That's the conclusion. Can you see that? God is not a God of division, but is a God of separation. Separate yourself from the unclean. Be holy, for I, your God, am holy. That's the whole point in the book of Leviticus. My dear friends, we need to learn these things. We need to separate from the ungodly. Things like uh, mysticism and witchcraft should not even be named among us. If redeemed, if they were brethren, if they were heads of glory, then slaves could not possibly be treated as things. Therefore, Christian masters couldn't deliberately continue to hold or regard them as properties. But Christianity is being put on trial all the time. That's dishonesty. That's dishonesty. But they're not talking about what Christianity has done to remove this evil. Because in this case here, it was institutionalized. What do you do when something is operating as an institution? So the Christian came up with an approach. Evangelist was at the forefront. And as many were coming to the faith, including slaves, masters, they were coming to the faith, they will not understand that other slaves who came to the faith as well were equally saved. So that begin to change their perspective. They begin to understand and appreciate God's creation. And that proved to be absolutely effective. That was the approach. Where are we today? What is the approach? LGBT is everywhere. This program. Where is the approach? Because every pastor is an expert. No one wants to listen to anybody. How are we going to fight? For Christ, as his body. We just cry, we just complaining, things are getting worse, everybody's in little corner, everybody's an expert, everybody. Who will give a strategy? Who will say, this is the way we can tackle? By the time you say that, 58% of the leaders in Anglican Church, I say 58%, 58%. That's 250 over 432. 58% have voted for the proposition, for the blessing of same-sex relationship. 58%. You know what? You may be looking at me and say, well, you are gay, you don't even have a degree in theology. Thank you very much. But I'm talking about the right reverend. They have big titles. Big titles. 
68% voted for the blessing of same-sex marriage. Name the doctorate, PhD, whatever you want. I'm nothing. I'm just going by the Bible. You tell me if I'm wrong and they're right. Oh, we hear now about pronouns to be used when it comes to God. Praise the Lord, a group of determined ladies. Few days ago, they gathered together. Most of them ladies. And they gathered and they said, we're going to pray our Father who art in heaven. And they prayed with all their might. And we're glad. And we'll continue to do so. Our Father. No pronouns. Amen. Amen, yes. I'm saying lady, not man. As always. Ladies. You remember the resurrection? Behind the doors, trembling. It was ladies' court. Men. Nothing. I'm one of them. Ladies. Gathered to pray our Father what in heaven. And you should see the determination, the level of the voice. They say you're going to kill us. But no pronounce use for God. And one brother wrote, he said, Are you really seriously looking at pronouns for God? A pronouns for God? Find it in Exodus 3.14. I am. So, the epistle to the Colossians was addressed to the whole church at Colossae, but the epistle to Philemon was personally addressed to a believer living at Colossae. In both cases, we can see a Christian approach to social justice and humanity. These letters also give insight into the way Christianity deals with the social issues of slavery. In a context where slavery is institutionalized, with the economy resting on slave trade and labor. Historically, the Christian response to the institutionalized evil was to progressively introduce new and dynamic relationship of love and respect for others as brothers in Christ. This would eventually lead to the impossibility of treating human beings as mere properties. This process is clearly revealed in Paul's letter to the Colossians and to the one to Philemon. Now, there was a good balance here. Because of the situations, the Christian teaching has been that, oh, masters, unlike the unbelievers, please treat your servant because slave is also translated by servant. That's what many people miss when they accuse Christianity. They mix that in some places, slave just means servant and maid servants. Treat them fairly. Give them a fair wage. Fair wages. Give them. So you see, that approach, that understanding of Christianity began to, to, to soften the master's heart as an outcome, a consequence of their belief in Christ. Renewed perspective and perception. Christianity has changed so many things. Did I tell you this story about the American researchers who went in a very remote forest in Africa? They got there 
And they found surprisingly that the whole village was sold out to Christ. And they said to them, how did that happen? They said, well, there was a white man who came here and told us about Jesus Christ. We now believe in him. We've changed Jesus is good. And those evolutionists say to them, those are lies. We live with them there. We don't believe in that. Those are lies. And people run to the tribal chief and they went to complain. They said, oh, they say these are lies. And he said, can I meet with those white people? And he met with them. And he said, oh, we did not know these things were lies. We're going to stop, withdraw ourselves from these things. The first action will be to eat you because we were cannibals. <laughs> Do you agree to that? No. Then you kneel down and receive Christ. Otherwise, we eat you. <laughs> Entire civilization has been changed by the gospel. From cannibalism to respect. Prostitutes have become Christian, married with pastors. I remember the story of a former prostitute who was having a pastor almost every week saying, God has shown me I should marry you. She said, what God is that? There are seven of them, all of them pastors. Because of the transformation Christ has mm-hmm. What about Nicky Cruz? What about Paul? Saul of Tarsus? What about yourself? Think about that. Don't be ashamed. Remember what I told you? If anyone is in crisis, then you create a mechanism for yourself of things that have changed. If it's a zero, then I don't know. What are the things that have passed away in your life? And what are the things that have become new? And what would people who knew you before say about you today? Would they say, oh, I wish you never knew this person before. Oh, it's just the same. Blanc, bonnet, bonnet, blanc. Oh, there is genuine transformation as a result of coming to Christ. Colossians chapter 4, verse 1 Masters, give your bond servant what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Can you see that? Change into perspective. I'm not God the Father. I myself, Christ's slave. I have a master to whom I should give an account. That will cause me to treat fellow human beings as people, men in Christ's image. So, what they ought to have, what is fairly their due in terms of wages, slaves or bond servants were subject to their masters. But Christians were very careful in not encouraging the servant to become rebellious. No. They put things in the right perspective. Obey your master. As well as doing the work on the masters, the servant were being taught obedient, but they were encouraged to seize the earliest opportunity if there was one to become free. Christian. When there was big issues, the leads of the church came together. 
They pray, they examine the matter, and they put in place a good strategy how to approach the issue. Those were very difficult stuff. He took years, centuries, before that was abolished. You know your story better than I do. All the weaver force, etc. You know. John Wesley was encouraged to become an MP. He says, no. Wilberforce, you go at Westminster. I will fight from outside. Go and fight from inside. There was a strategy from Christian leaders. Until the abolition fix came. We're going all over the place now. All we do is crying. They've done it again. They've done it again. They've done it again. How long do you feel it will take before you start getting people... I don't want to frighten you. Before we start getting people who will say, Oh, brother, I'm offended by that. That's not lawful. You're not supposed to say that. How long do you think that we take? <laughs> Pray and be prepared. We are at the forefront. I've told you the other day. The things I'm saying now are online. To fight back. We have to do something. Okay. I'm going to jump to something I don't want to miss as a, conclu- as a partial conclusion because I will have an opportunity to come back to the whole series next time. <clears throat> Let's read from Mark. And I will make these notes available once I've completed the series so you can have them if, you are, if you're interested in the topic. So let's go to Mark chapter 8. I'm going to give a partial conclusion. That's Mark chapter 8 and verses 22 to 26. Mark 8, 22 to 26. No, 25. Then he came, that's Jesus Christ. Then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him, and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hand on him, he asked him if he saw anything. Verse 24. And he looked up and he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking, verse 25. Then he put his hand on his eye again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Remember what we talked about this morning? Oh no, this afternoon. Renewed perspective and perception. Verse 24, in New King James Version, it says this, I see men like trees walking. Darby Version, American Standard Version, I behold them as trees walking. Complete Jewish Bible. I see people, but they look like walking trees. God's World Version. They look like trees walking around. 
Holman Christian Standard Bible. I see people, they look to me like trees walking, renewed perspective and perception. Hmm. That's serious, isn't it? Looking at other people like trees, they mean nothing. The last version I've read for you is more specific. I see people, they look to me like moving trees. Wow. May the Lord open our eyes to begin to respect one another. Respect your husband. Respect your wife. See your wife like a tree. Your husband like nothing. Your brother and your sister like a moving tree. Do you know what it means? I see like men, but I see them like tree moving around. Moving around without purpose. I just see things, you know, you know I'm the best, they mean nothing to me, you know, they just without purpose. They are just thing, I'm the best, I'm greatest, I'm stronger, I'm smarter, I'm more sophisticated, I'm richer, all those Listen, if you think you're handsome, there is someone called Joseph who made Potiphar's wife to burn. Very, very handsome man. David, handsome man. If you think you have gifts, then check it out with Daniel, who is able to discern someone else's dream and then give an answer. And then they say, it's God, not me. If you think you are spiritual, we have people like Moses to whom God spoke audibly. And if you think you are pretty, we have someone called Esther, by God's standards. Then we have Sarah, very beautiful people. If you think you are the better strategist and leader, we have someone called Joshua. You think you are expert, we have someone called Ezra, Nehemiah. Outstanding people, first class thinkers and builders in the Bible. Not to mention Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Outstanding, intelligent people who stood for God. Let us be humble. Calm. Calm. It is in the Bible, you think you are strong, we have someone called Samson in the Bible. Calm. Humility. There's nothing new under the sun. Do not look at other people as nothing. We all nothing. Redeemed by God. Shoulders down. Christ. Amen. Let's pray. We bless you, Lord God Almighty, for this time we spent together and we pray that, Lord, you continue to help us for this thing to resonate and to help us, Lord, to grow and to know you. We give you praise and glory and commit the church and every believer unto your hands. Be with us, Lord, and teach us your laws and your ways. Help us, Lord. Teach us by your Holy Spirit to understand and discern these things and your body. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.